Today is going to be, uh, I think I would, I would call it a little bit more of a uh, mature lesson. I, mean, I, haven't, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I think this is a lesson that, or a sermon that you're going to want to probably listen to again. And I don't mean because it's necessarily good or something like that, but because there's a lot going on in there. Uh, so I encourage you to listen to it again on our website or our podcast. Um, two days ago, Pastor Ramon called me up in the morning and he said, bro, I'm sick. You know, that's what he sounded like. And I was like, oh, that, that's, that's tough, man. Sorry. And he's, he was supposed to teach today. So it was like, whoa, okay, here we go. But it's so cool how the Lord works because just like a day or two before, I think it was the night before I was telling Michelle, I was like, you know, I feel like I just haven't been connecting with the Lord. And I think maybe I got a little, a little lax because I wasn't preaching this week. That maybe I wasn't like digging into the word as much as I should. You know, I'm just being real with you. I just kind of went up against the ropes a little bit. I was like, I think I should. I really just need to go down in the basement and just start plugging in with the Lord. And like 12 hours later, 10 hours later, I get the phone call from from Ramon. So it's just so cool how how it all landed together. So Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for us being able to be led by your spirit. And Father, I pray that this, this teaching would just go into good soil, that none of us would feel condemned or judged, but that we would be able to take your word and intrinsically process it with you and say, how do I be molded deeper and better into your likeness? Amen? Amen. So we have been uh, doing a, um, a sermon series on the culture of heaven last week. Josh did an awesome job on language. You guys remember that? Right. It's good stuff. Um, And so what we're doing here is we're taking a look at the main aspects of culture and saying, how does that culture perception affect the way that I view the Lord, how I view my walk on planet Earth? And so we've done language, we've done economics, and today we're doing the next one. And so we can go to the, the next slide, Sharon, please. Uh, and that is the notion of religion. Hmm. So according to sociologists, religion is a major aspect of culture. Major aspect. And all of us sitting here have different backgrounds to understanding and processing our upbringing through religion. And I felt the Lord was just saying that there is a cure. Uh, there is a cure uh, to your life. Uh, there is a cure to dare I say, the temptations that you may struggle with, the sins that you are wrestling with over and over and over and over again. Uh, There is a cure to the uneasiness that may be in your life. There is a cure to you thinking that you'll never be able to walk into the fullness of your destiny because you look around and you say, this is not what I signed up for. I thought there was more to life and more to my spiritual walk than this. I believe there is a cure for all of that, and the cure is, in fact, to remove the religious spirit in your life, if there is one. So let's open up to uh, Matthew chapter 15, probably the most famous little section about a religious type of spirit. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew chapter 15, my apologies. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Hmm. Teaching, the, the, teaching 
uh, doctrine or teaching things that man thinks that you should do and making them as if they were the words of God. Now, which group of people was largely Yeshua, largely Jesus, directing this towards? If we go to the next slide, and I apologize, there's a lot of next slides in here. I told you it's deep, a deep message. Really, the people that he's talking to are two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay? The Pharisees and Sadducees were Jewish leaders um, in the time of, of Jesus. There are two sects, if you will. The Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, essentially believed that they knew what the Lord was saying. And this is the, these are the only two groups of people uh, that Jesus is going to really kind of sit on edge. He, he, these are the two groups of people that is really the, really the only time that Yeshua raises his voice in judgment. And it's some semblance of wrath. Like, when people think that, like, the Son of God is this angry man, which he's not, they usually are thinking about the times that Jesus is directing something towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees. To the prostitute, to the murderer, to the thief on the cross, he is love and compassion and grace. But to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, man, you're like, what just happened? I mean, he, he, he gets going sometimes. You brood of ripe, and you're brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. I mean, it's like heavy, heavy stuff. You're like, whoa. Now, why is he doing that? Uh, the Pharisees actually, the the name in Hebrew, Pirushim, means set apart ones. And Sadducees, coming from Sadducim, means the righteous ones, or Zadok, or the righteous. What these two groups of people are: religious leaders who say that they are set apart and holy, different than everyone else. And better than everyone else. And have a certain way of approaching God better than everyone else. And the Sadducees who call themselves righteous. These are the two types of people that Jesus is like, whoa, my blood's boiling a little bit here. And he brings, the, brings, brings down the hammer on those types of people. They're the only ones that Jesus really shows some kind of stern discussion with. And so the question is why? Why does he do this with these type of people? Because essentially, they walk in a religious spirit. They believe that they are better than all the rest. They're more learned. They are the elitists. They are the ones that are working and governing in society. And they believe that the way that they approach God, with all their additional laws and ways of doing things, is the right and perfect way to go to the Father. And everyone else has missed it. And this is why Jesus is like, whoa, going after him a little bit. Essentially, they never see their way out of this cycle as well. They never quite are able, except for maybe Nicodemus and a, a later Paul, they're never really able to see their way out of this religious spirit cycle. They're unable to see the grace of the Lord. Nicodemus was able to. Paul the Apostle is over to after he gets like hit over the head with the Spirit of God. But they're not able to see their way out of this cycle. And so, you know, the big thing here is who are they today? Who are the Pharisees and Sadducees today? And I've heard lots and lots of people want to say different things. And people will say things like, oh, it's like the Catholic Church. Or it's like, it's like rabbinical Judaism with all these laws and set things. And okay, possibly. I want to argue here that the, 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 the people that maybe Yeshua would be discussing in this tone today uh, may be some of us. I don't mean like some of us in the born-again, spirit-filled community. 
Yeah. I, th I think that's part of it. I mean, when, when you start to take your own preferences and putting them on the word and teaching them that way. Um, really, this, this, what, what I kind of feel that those people that are walking a religious spirit today are those people um, who have a concept of the do's and don'ts of life and spirituality. Not based on the word of God, but rather on their own cultural tradition. I'll say that again. I believe that these are the, the elitists of the church world. What I do and what my culture, whether it's an, an Anglo-American culture or Hispanic culture or just your particular dominational culture of how you are to run services and run your life, that the way that I choose and where I come from choose to do things, that's the right way. It's not the right way. Yeah, in other uh, Gospels, you know, Matthew says it in this way, right? Um, but in other Gospels, yeah, you're valuing these traditions. These doctrines are these traditions as, as if they were the Word of God. Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I think that some of this is uh, relatively subtle. You know, because you've got a good heart, you know, and you, don't, you, you, know, you read the Word, and, and you, you've been around, you have a good heart, and you don't want to act in this way, but you know, some of these things can be a little subtle. And so uh, let me just throw a couple out there. Uh, one would be, uh, for example, of your culture of what is appropriate to wear to church. I'll be quite honest. I tuck my shirt in. I tuck my shirt in because many of you are like, you know, Pastor Shabbos, shirt tucked in. Verbatim. I'm being real with you. I wear a collared button-down shirt because in our middle-class Jesus, that's what is accepted and expected. Okay? Uh, okay, well, we'll leave that for later because there's a lot of comments today, which I like, but this is a heavy, not a heavy, it's a, it's a deep message. I want to be able to uh, keep my thoughts going because it's a tough one. So, you know, there's a judgment on, on appearance, a judgment on clothing, a judgment on, like, if someone comes into church, like, are they supposed to wear a tie? They're not supposed to wear a tie. They're supposed to have a hat on. Can they have a hat on? Can they not have a hat on? Yeah, flip-flops, no flip-flops. You know, everyone has their own cultural version of, like, where they came from, which is appropriate. And that's different when you're dealing with people under the age of 50, and really different under 40, and extremely different under the age of 30. The cultural paradigms are just different. Not better, not worse, just different. Okay? As long as they're not going up against the Word of God. Amen? You know, we need to take communion in this certain fashion. Once a month, the first Sunday or the last Sunday. I forget what we do. We do last Sunday, right? First Sunday? Oh, there we go. First Sunday. Does it have to be done that way? And if someone else does it a different way? The service needs to look a certain way. Four songs and out. Well, we do five songs and out. Five is really where it's appropriate. Sermon's supposed to be 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And we're supposed to have all of this kind of lingo and processing of how to do things. Uh, I think these are a little bit more of the subtle ways in which we can have this spring up inside of us. Subtleties, right? Satan is always a little subtle. He doesn't just boom, hit you with it. It's subtle. Now, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Uh, says, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you, these are the sons of God. It doesn't say those who are led 
by their own cultural norms and business plan, they are the sons of God. No. To be led by the Spirit of God means that things are changing at times. It's not a certain business plan or a certain cultural norm of how you're supposed to be doing church or even doing your own life. If you're led by the Spirit, man, there, there are things that He's going to have you and bring you to which may in fact look different and be different. I like that. Something that's alive is growing and changing within the confines of the Word. Amen. But like, there's a change that happens. So the religious spirit, you can go to the next slide, please. Uh, this kind of religious spirit is manifested in, in two places, the internal and the external. And so the ones that are most common are, are external. So if you could take out your bulletin, we're going to do a little game here. And we can go to the next slide. What I'm going to do in a moment is read over a couple of common things that spring up according to Google and Bible Hub and Charisma Magazine and everyone else that's out there that are common religious spirits that are manifest. And what I want you to do is just be real with yourself. I'm not going to see it. Your husband or your wife or anyone else around you is going to see this. This is simply yours. Okay? This is for you to get a barometer on like, where am I? Let me do a little, let me do, let me look in the mirror as James says and see what's going on. No one's going to see this. Except for you. All right. When I read this, you'll put a zero for like, oh, no, this, I never do this. Number one, I have, but not often. Two, well, I do it more than I should. And put a 25 on there if you're like, this is totally pointless. Why are we doing this ridiculous survey? That'd be real easy. We just know you have a religious spirit right there. All right. So if we can go to the next slide, we're gonna, I'll, I'll read through it. The font's a little small. I think there are eight things there. Yep, eight. Number one, zero, never, one, I have, but not often, two, uh, more than I should, more than I should. So the first one is you judge others by their appearance. That could happen either in the church, in your family, or at work. You judge others by their appearance. Two, you find yourself always critiquing other people and other churches in their walk with God. Maybe not always, because that would just immediately make you, give you a two, but like, do you find yourself you know, critiquing other people and their, and their walks with the Lord and other churches, and this church doesn't have it right, but we have it right? My cousin doesn't know the Lord the right way, but I do. Things like that. Zero, one, two. Zero, never, one, I have... And then two is you're doing it probably more often than you should. Okay? Three, you have anger and or resentment in your life towards people. Four, you focus on outward acts instead of inner transformation. Like you're always thinking about the things that you have to do for the Lord, the things that you have to do for church. But you're not really like ever thinking about like your inner transformation of your spirit, man. Like, oh, you know, I got to get to Bible study or I got to get to prayer service. And if I get to prayer service, then everything's going to be okay. And, you know, I made a little check off this, this week. More concerned on the outward things opposed to the inner transformation. Five, focus on things I have to do 
more than a passion for the gospel. It's kind of a continuation of the previous one. You focus on things I have to do more of, and you do that more than a simple passion for the gospel. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray a little bit more this week. Uh, Six is one of my favorites because I I have this interaction with quite a few people uh, in my line of work. And that is those people who default to theology above relationship. Like you get talking to them and like they're throwing out all these theological things and you're like, okay, man, cool. You know that? Okay. I don't even know what that means, but okay. Some of us may or may not have interaction with these types of people. I do all the time. These people who are like trying to show themselves, approve that they have head knowledge on these complex theological things. Like, are you a Calvinist? Are you not a Calvinist? Right? Dispensationalism, all this kind of crazy vocabulary. You're like, huh? I don't even know how to spell that. So, do you find yourself defaulting to the theological things of the Lord opposed to a relationship with Him? Seven, do you desire position, honor, and or a title in the church? And eight, do you try to earn God's love? All right, you got your little numbers there. You add them up. I don't know what the summation should be or could be or whatever. I mean, it's technically that you can have zero. Uh, I think if you have zero, I'm just going to be real with you. I think if you have zero, you probably, you're just, well, I think you took the test, but you probably just have a religious spirit about you. Like, I would never do this. I mean, I take this. I'm, I'm somewhere between 7 and 12, I think, 7 and 14. There, I have some twos on there. I should do more than I should. Definitely. Um, can we judge that? You can. Um, but the reality here is if, you know, if you're, there's a number where, and I think what's more important than the number is the exercise, right? Who cares what your number is? But seeing this stuff and saying, I'm doing this a little bit more than I should, it may be an example of this. So essentially what I'm getting at here is this. Um, The external religious spirit usually manifests itself in these things, which are all loaded down into a performance-based system. I have to do something in order to earn God's love and favor. An external religious spirit is usually manifested in a performance. You have to try to do something. And there's a problem. Performance does not take faith. This could be subtle good things. Well, I pray every day. And I pray a lot. And I worship. And I do all this kind of stuff. You may, in fact, be creating a performance-based system that takes no faith. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in fact, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And what this means here is more than I come to him in salvation. This means the daily walking of your life. If you have faith, you can please the Lord. And if you are doing things out of performance, and if I can just do, 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 there's a lack of faith that may be there. If we can go to the next slide, we see this. Um, the Lord wants us to learn dependence on Him instead of performance. To learn to trust in His power in us. That's what He wants. He wants faith. 
More faith than just salvation. Faith for the daily grind. Faith for the daily life. Faith for this service and how it goes. Faith to how to interact with one another. He wants to see us depend on him. Opposed to me having to do something and form and look a certain way before you guys and before him and before my family. Uh, in life and in, 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 in church, uh, it is easy to rely not on faith, but on the organizational way of doing things. Let's be honest. I could not rely on faith and make this service happen. It would be bad. You might, you might just be like, oh, this is a great service, but in the spirituality of things, it would be very bad. I could just go to the Lord and just dig up an old sermon. I can go to the Lord and just steal a sermon off of Google. I can just write down whatever and, and make it sound the way it sounds. And we can just do that with worship. And we can have this organizational way of doing things. And we're going to just jump from lockstep to lockstep to lockstep and not allow the Spirit to direct and do things. And by doing that, oh, there's a tremendous amount of comfort that is created. Um. Why do we do this? Why do we not rely completely on his, on his goodness and his power in me in whatever you do? Why do we not do it? Um, I think we don't do this because human beings like order. There's good godly order. Amen. But earthly order is essentially control. We like it. Because if we have control, we have stability. If we have stability, we have comfort. If we have comfort, we feel good. And you can do that in a church service. If we control it and have it look like this, now I can measure the success. We did the five songs. I gave the sermon. I did this. We prayed for some people. And look, didn't it, really, it looked successful, didn't it? And essentially what we do here in our lives, if we have a religious spirit, we put this kind of control and organization to things so that we can judge ourselves by looking at what has transformed. And if I have this control of I'm going to wake up in the morning and I am going to just read the Bible, and you're just doing it to do it, you're doing it on a performance-based system by the afternoon, you're like, oh, look, look what I did today. I'm okay. I'm good. No, you're not good. You feel good and you created this whole construct of things to make yourself feel good. But you did it out of performance and not a dependence on his love. And you don't even see it. Because many church cultures would say that you're doing the right thing. No, you're not. You're relying on your own power, not a dependence and trusting on the love of the Father. You could. I mean, if you wake up in the morning for different motivation, you're, you're good to go, right? And we go to the, the next slide here. Um, all of this kind of performance and order is not, the performance is bad, order is not necessarily bad, uh, but this can easily become a religious spirit if it is a measure we use to determine success. That's essentially what I'm saying here. If we're using all these things to measure how successful we are, then it has become a problem. Okay? Alright, so fine. We, you know, we, that, there's a lot of our classroom kind of teaching here. I'll take a little drink of my iced coffee and maybe we can get into preacher mode a little bit. I don't know. We'll just, we'll just see here. I just feel a little bleh right now. All right. So we, we set these goals up. And these goals are largely this kind of religious spirit. We've got to look a certain way. We've got to dress a certain way. We've got to act a certain way in church. We've got to act a certain way uh, with our loved ones. Uh, because this is the goal of what success looks like. 
And essentially what it does here is it creates this religious spirit externally from you. But what if I told you that the goal has already been achieved? <laughs> what if I told you all of your goals of what you're trying to be, what you're trying to create for yourself has actually already been achieved 2,000 years ago? Wow, I mean, I could take a lot of stress off of you. What if I told you that before you even walk in here, that the church service is already pleasing before the eyes of the Lord? What if I told you that whatever you do, and however much you read the Bible or don't read the Bible, whatever you may be doing in your life, that no matter if you fall a hundred times or rise a hundred and one times, that you're still pleasing and wonderfully made in His eyes. Look, there's sin. I'm not promoting sin. I'm not promoting a sin lifestyle. But if you, wanna, if you want the cure for your life, remove yourself from the shame. Con conviction of the Holy Ghost is powerful. Shame is from the enemy. And many of us look to the Father through our own lens of shame. But what if I told you that the shame is already gone, whether you wake up tomorrow and read the Word or you don't? Whether you come to church today or you don't, the goal has already been met. You're already the righteousness of God. Amen. Oh, I mean, there's like so much woo, that comes off of me. All right. So that's the external. Let's now talk a little bit about the internal. Next slide, please. Uh, I've been reading a, a book called The Cure, which is obviously where the kind of sermon title came from. And this author is talking about what if God isn't who you think he is? And neither are you. What if God is, in fact, not who you think he is? And neither are you. This is where we get from the culture of religion. This is where we're going with it. So if we go to the next slide here. There's a powerful quote in the book. Your view of you is the greatest commentary on your view of God. Your view of you is the greatest commentary on your view of God. If you live this defeatist attitude and this guilt attitude and this shame and knocking yourself down, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, you're never worthy enough because your parents did it this way or your friends do it this way or your boss does it this way, that has a way of affecting how you view your father. If you view yourself in a different way, then that means you're getting your identity through the Father. And if you understand that you are the righteousness of God, that you are loved, that you are beloved, that you're the apple of his eyes, that you're head and not the tail, that you're his beloved, his bride, all of these things, you're going to start to view that inside of yourself. And if you view yourself differently, it probably means that the point of your focus is you and not him. He views you differently. And a lot of us go to the Father with this warped sense of who God is and who you are because of bad religion. Uh, the next slide. One of my favorite poems, poets and poems is uh, Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. There are essentially two roads in the woods of life. When we come to faith, there are two roads, two trails. That's if you get to this fork in the road. Hopefully you're... You got there, right? Hopefully, you came to the Lord. He came to you. You received his love. You received it all. And now you're at this crossroads. And we go to the next slide, Sean. There's two paths to go down. The one path is the pursuing the God that we see through our own shame. 
And the other path is the God who actually is. Now, no one is going to say, I want to follow the God that I see through our shame. You, no, one's going to, no one's going to express that. But if we go to the, uh, the next slide here, we see that there's a little bit more to it. Uh, the subtleties of that, of that, are, that will be expressed is that we go down this trail of, of wanting to simply please God. Is pleasing God good? Absolutely. Is it valuable? Absolutely. Is it what he wants us to do? Absolutely. But it's not the end-all, be-all. If you go down the path of, I'm going to now please God, and that is my objective, uh, it's going to create, I believe, an internal religious spirit, if you will. Um, if we have the uh, worship team come on down, please. It's subtle. Well, I want to do that which is right before God. I want to please him. That, that sounds very logical. Sounds very logical. I want to do this so I can please him because he's done so much for me. But there's another road, the trusting God piece. But if we're going down this road of all I want to do is just please him, please him, please him, and do that which is right, something happens. There's a response. If I just do this, then I will be closer to God. No. No. You're already close to him. He's already right here. Despite your shame, despite your guilt, despite what you've done with your life, despite the way that you thought about your spouse this morning, he is standing right here. But many modern day religious spirit churches will teach that, man, you sinned, you did wrong, you did all this kind of stuff, and you, now you're down in the gutter and God is so far from you. No, he's right here. And if you just delegate and interpret your walk with the Lord as one where you always have to just please him, please him, please him, what happens here is you create this mentality of if I just do this, then I'll be closer to God. And if you say that, what you are essentially saying is that your shame is greater than his love for you. My shame is too great, it is too powerful, it is too strong, it has precedence of power over the love that you have for me. Because I sinned and I screwed up and I did something wrong and now my shame has set you aside. That means that shame is the most precious and powerful commodity in the cosmos. And it's not. Love, love of the Father through the blood of Yeshua is the most powerful and the ultimate expression of all things heavenly and all things earthly and all things that are eternal. But when you say, I sinned and I screwed up and now God you are away from me, you are saying that your shame is more powerful than the love of the Father. And if you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to spend your entire life trying to accept God's acceptance of you. And if you do that, you're then going to walk out and you're going to produce a critical spirit upon yourself and also for your brothers and sisters. The same way in which you judge yourself, you begin to judge others. And you'll see people are always criticizing their brother, Abel. They're always criticizing their sister. And they're always criticizing the church down the street. They're doing all of that because their shame in their mind and their spirit is greater than the love of the Father. And they say, well, I have to do all of this to earn his love and his acceptance and his favor. And I'm doing it better than that congregation down the street. And if you do that, you have a religious spirit. The external religious spirit begins on the inside. 
If your shame is greater than his love, is that what you actually think? And you went down this view of just pleasing him, just pleasing him, I just gotta do, and I gotta do, and I gotta do. You're creating a system for yourself of, of, of checks, of points. If I just do this, then he's gonna accept me. No, in the midst of your sin, while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for you and died for me. In the dirt, in the muck, in the most horrible experiences, the most horrible places, he died for you. Right? The question of eternity and of the cosmos has never been, God, where are you? But where are you, Adam? Right? He's here wanting you. But we put on the fig leaf, we put on the masks, we put on the guilt, we put on the shame. and say, if I just do this, and I just do this, and I just do this, then I will be accepted. And God is just calling out from the garden saying, no, my beloved, I am here. I'm speaking to you. I want to be with you despite anything because of my love for you. Let me go to the next slide, please. Essentially, the religious spirit is this. It is a spirit that wages against the grace of God in our lives and against the acceptance of Jesus' work in our lives. What it essentially does here is promote a, a, a type of what we call sin management. You know, I sin, but you know, if I just work harder, I won't sin anymore. Has anyone ever been there before? I know I shouldn't do this, and tomorrow I'm just going to man on up and I'm not going to do it. Anyone else have ever been like that? I'm going to... That's called sin management. Sin management. If I just not do this, then everything's going to be all right between me and God. But if I do this yet again, I'm not going to be close to him, right? Religious spirit produces a sin management of guilt upon yourself where if I just do this, then I will be better and I won't sin again. And I'm telling you from experience, probably ask anyone who's raised their hand here, it simply does not ever, ever, ever work. Never. Because it's performance and not dependence. Well, we go to the next slide. There is this other trail, isn't there? Pleasing God or trusting God? Well, pleasing God is the right thing to do. But you have to understand is he's, you're already pleasurable in his, in his eyes. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself more pleasing in his eyes. You're already pleasing in his eyes. Already pleasing in his eyes. Tomorrow you sin. This afternoon you sin. You eat too much or you look at something that is inappropriate. He's still pleased with you. Don't try to manage your sin. He is still pleased with you. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan is, not the Father. So the trust in God realm, this is taken from The Cure by John Lynch. Go to the, the next slide here. This life in Christ is not about what I can do to make myself worthy of his acceptance, but daily trusting what he has done to make me worthy of his acceptance. You want to see victory in your life, man? You're tired of going around that same mountain over and over and over and over again? Remove the religious spirit. If you went around the mountain again, he's still there. If you went around the mountain again, he still loves you. He's still by your side saying, come on, bro, we can do this. Come on, my beloved. Come on, my bride. We're going to get through this because I love you. Don't, don't try it in your own strength. Just accept how I see you and stop seeing yourself as a sinner and start seeing yourself as a beloved and you're going to get out of this mess. You're going to break the chains of addiction. You're going to break the chains of depression and anxiety and evil thoughts and high thoughts and principalities when you stop thinking about the sin and the shame and you start viewing how he actually sees you as an accepted beloved. 
It is the only thing that will get you out. Everything else by Satan is going to get you further in the mud and further in the, in, in the guilt and the oppression. Jesus. Last slide. Sharon, awesome job on the slide today. I am not what they say I am. I am what he says I am. I am not what they say I am. I am what he says I am. I am not what other pastors say I am. I am not what my colleagues at work say I am. I am not what my parents and my grandparents and my friends and my neighbors think what I am. I am not what Satan says and tries to get in my head to say who I am. I am only what he says I am. His beloved, his redeemed, his eternal. Woo! If I see myself this way, finally, if I see myself not through the lens of a religious spirit, but if I see myself through the trusting of God on his dependence of who he's called me to be, if I see myself this way, I will see my brother. I will see my sister this way. I will see other churches down the street this way. And I will not walk out in a critical spirit. Because I am no longer creating a point system that I have to do this to earn his favor. I've already been favored. And the church down the street, that, yeah, their worship isn't as lively. They're loved and beloved before the Lord. And I don't have to judge that. And I don't have to compare us to them to get my own validation. I don't have to do that. Dealing with the sin management part. When we adopt the understanding of curing the religious spirit, and we adopt the understanding that you're not wretched, that you're not shameful, that you're his beloved and his righteous, and his, 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 his heart for you is like burning, as the Song of Solomon says. When we adopt that, we get called up to his love. We get called up to his love. And you get called up to his love, you come out of the murk. You come out of the mud. You come out of the clay. You come out of the junk. You come out of the lust. You come out of the gluttony. You come out of all of that stuff because you're getting pulled up into his love because you know it is what you've been called to, not what you have to do. You don't have to. You're beloved. You're saved. But you get to. You get to walk. You get to walk into what he says about you. And by doing that, the shame goes away. The shame just falls off. And you're like, I screwed up again, Father. I screwed up again, but I know you love me. I know you see me as a person of my potential reality. I can become this through your grace and through your love. And I just, I'm going to depend on you. And I'm going to focus on what you say I am. And I'm not a sinner. I've been pure and whole and beautiful in your eyes. Many of us, including myself, we are the biggest critics of ourselves. And if that is you, you probably have some semblance of this kind of religious spirit mentality. But in closing up today, it's so beautiful. Revelation chapter 12. Whew. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. This is the end of time. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But they did not prevail, 
nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world? He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brethren, brethren, who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Has been cast down. Has been cast down. Don't accuse the church down the street. Don't accuse your brother. Don't accuse your sister. And most importantly, do not accuse yourself. Because if you accuse yourself, it then flows out that way. You don't have to earn anything. The person down the street does not have to earn it. For the accuser of the brethren is Satan. And we, as a people, need to stop accusing ourselves. Saying that I just need to do this. And if I just figure this out, then I'll be closer. Bruh. I'm telling you, family, brothers and sisters, the Lord is right here with you. So don't beat yourself up. Lift yourself up and see yourself as he sees you. Amen? Why don't we stand and let's just pray and just sow into this in the spirit that these words would bear with us. These words would stay with us that even during the week, if we feel an unction to listen to it again, because it's, it, there's some deep things in here. There's a reworking of theology in many of our minds in here that you would listen to it. Father, I pray right now that we would not get hung up on the do's and don'ts of life. Obviously, be holy for your God is holy. Obviously, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Obviously, be transformed into his likeness from glory to glory. Yes, amen, amen, amen. But that occurs. That occurs when we look not to our own abilities, but we look to a dependency on the power of the Spirit, fashioned and formed through the love of the Messiah. Father, I pray against those of us who grew up in a religious spirit attitude or a religious spirit place or a religious spirit family where our motivation was out of fear and out of guilt and out of shame. Father, we pray right now in the spirit that it would release, it would be removed from our brothers and sisters. It would be just removed, that we no longer would put on that mask. We no longer would put on that straight jacket. But Lord, as it's removed, it would be replaced with an understanding of how the Father sees you. Replaced not with shame, but placed with victory. Replaced with the Spirit of God. Replaced with an understanding of your destiny and calling. That you're feared. That you're, you're fearfully loved. And wonderfully loved. Jesus. I just, I just pray right now, I'm just feeling the Spirit that some of us are just, we're on the fence. So I just encourage you right now, even if you haven't dealt with this, that you just, you just stand in prayer right now for some of our brothers and sisters that I can see are, are really being impacted right now. Just stand with them in prayer. No shame. No guilt. No shame. No guilt. Love. 
grace, dependency on the Holy Ghost. For those that are led by the Spirit of God are called the sons of God. Not those who are led by the do's and don'ts of life, but those that are led by the Spirit of God. They shall be called the sons of God. Father, we pray that in our lives and in this congregation, we can be led by your Spirit. We can be led by your love. That we wouldn't beat ourselves down. We wouldn't compare ourselves to our brothers. That we wouldn't compare. We wouldn't compare. Father, we pray right now that we remove the spirit of Cain over Abel in this place. The spirit of Cain over Abel. Abel. Be removed. Be removed. Be removed. Be removed. Our own guilt, our own shame, be removed. We are that we would see ourselves. That we would see ourselves the way that you see us. You see, oh, you see the blood. You see the sacrifice. You see the submission, the surrender. So right now, let us surrender. And let us be filled with your love and with your grace. Amen? Amen. I just encourage you to just not leave right away. But if you do, don't worry. I'm not going to judge you. Because we're not operating in a religious spirit. I'm just encouraging you. Just sit in this. Sit in this atmosphere for a moment. Yes. Yes. If you need some prayer or would like some prayer to be encouraged and empowered in this understanding. Please just come down and we'll, we'll pray for you. And as always, those of us who would like to pray, especially some of the ladies, just come on down and face the congregation so you can lift them up in prayer. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful week. Amen.